Hello, everyone. I welcome you to The Butterfly Effect, a mental health podcast to help you navigate through adversity and begin your transformative journey to healing mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. From anxiety to domestic violence, this podcast will discuss a wide range of mental health topics, hearing real people discuss their raw experiences. Because this podcast touches on sensitive topics, listener discretion is advised, and the information that is provided is not meant to diagnose or treat any mental health condition or be a substitute for therapy. If you are experiencing any mental health symptoms while listening, I encourage you to contact somebody that you trust or a mental health provider in your community. So, without further ado, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Butterfly Effect podcast. My name is Queen Shimoniak, and I welcome you to this week's episode. This week's topic is going to be about attachment theory. I'm going to be discussing what attachment theory is, outline the different types of attachment, and give you vital information to help you heal from possible attachment wounds that you could have. So without further ado, let's get started. Let's dive deep into this week's topic because not only is it one that fascinates me and something I'm quite passionate about, but also I feel like it's quite overlooked. And as much as we could understand different topics within mental health, I think attachment theory truly does deserve an episode. It really is a topic that should be talked about because attachment As I've mentioned before in previous episodes, we all want to feel the sense of safety and security, not only within ourselves, but we want to feel like we're safe and secure in another person's embrace. We want to feel safe and secure emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. And all of our attachment stems from childhood. And childhood is really a period of time that we almost take for granted because as children, we're, we're just going about our lives and we're doing these childlike things, but the things that we experience in our childhood really do create almost a script or a blueprint of how we're going to be as adults. So attachment theory was first proposed by an English psychoanalyst. His name was John Bowlby, and he was very fascinated with trying to understand why some people crave love more than others or why do some people feel more comfortable with intimacy and some people don't so he went on this journey to understand levels of attachment and he described attachment as a lasting psychological connectedness between human beings so he started his research to understand how maternal care that we receive as children can influence how we show love and also create these bonds as adults. So his research was very successful because he was able to not only draw information from his own experiences, but also reflect in a way to formulate types of attachment. And he really wanted to emphasize the fact that showing a lot of affection and care doesn't negatively alter a child's development. Rather, it actually forms a proper development of personality. And 
this was very profound back in the day because to the point where hospitals uh, allowed uh, parents to see their children instead of them not showing affection. Back then, the rules were quite different. And that topic may, that, that situation may sound kind of foreign because now in present day, we, we have um, visitation if our loved one is in the hospital. But back then, it wasn't as easy or as accessible. So his theory was later developed even more by a woman named Mary Ainsworth. She expanded on Bowlby's ideas and discovered profound effects of attachment and behavior and how the love and almost um, attachment that we feel in our childhood from our caregivers really does have an influence on our behavior growing up and in adulthood. So why is this so important? Why why is it that our childhood makes this this big influence on our adulthood that we didn't necessarily sign up for? And that's because attachment, like I said, we all want to feel a sense of of security. And as children, you know, we all came into this world where babies were infants, we're vulnerable. And we rely so much on the people that's giving us that attention and that love and care that we need. And there was actually a study done where they observed, there were two researchers observed 60 infants and they were observed every four weeks of their first years of life. And they have found distinctive phases of attachment. And there are four major ones. So the first attachment is the pre-attachment stage. So from birth to three months, infants don't necessarily show a particular attachment to a specific caregiver. If anything, the infant is relying on certain signals in order for the caregiver to apply to its needs. So this could be as like crying or fussing. And this is usually just to attract the caregiver to give attention. And when the caregiver responds to that cry for attention, it's almost like a positive reinforcement that encourages the baby and encourages the baby to start formulating like, oh, okay, like this person is giving me what I want. And it encourages the caregiver to remain close because when you hear a baby cry, you want to pick it up. You want to soothe it. And that is a positive reinforcement for that baby to feel safe. Like, okay, this this caregiver cares. It's bringing me close. It doesn't mind this sense of closeness. It's giving me what I want. Then we have the second phase, which is the indiscriminate attachment. So around six weeks of age to almost seven months, infants begin to show a certain preference for either their primary or secondary caregivers. During this stage, it's so important because infants begin to develop like a feeling of, of trust in their caregivers because, as I mentioned, they're responding to the needs. So anything as far as crying or, or anything, it's to get the caregiver's attention so to apply to its needs. And that's when, like, the caregiver will respond to their needs while also being able to accept the care from other people. 
and become better at distinguishing between what is familiar and what is unfamiliar. And this is how like it's able to positively influence the caregiver's actions. Now, the third stage is called the discriminant attachment. This happens around 7 to 11 months of age. And this is when infants show a strong attachment or preference to a particular individual. And they will protest if they feel separated from their primary attachment figure. Uh, they will f- display a sense of anxiety around strangers or be a bit more, I guess, perceptive to people that unfamiliar people that come into their space. And this is where almost, in my opinion, the child really develops their social, emotional, and cognitive development and their personality. And as we move on to the fourth stage, this is what is called multiple attachments. This happens around nine months of age where children typically begin to form a strong emotional bond not only with their caregivers, but with other caregivers beyond the primary attachment. The primary attachment meaning your parents or whomever was in your life. Um, And they start to grow other attachments um, to fathers and to siblings and to grandparents because the maternal love and care that a mother gives to their child is what really sets the stage for how, atta- how that child is going to perceive attachment as they get older. So with that being said, what are the different types of attachment? And why is this so important? So as I previously mentioned, you know, infants are vulnerable. They want their needs to be taken care of. But not just infants want their needs to be taken care of. As you get older, your needs and wants change. And what you crave for attachment and for attention is going to be very different as you get older based on that initial interaction within the first year of you growing. How did you receive that love and care? Did your caregiver positively reinforce reinforce you to make sure that you feel safe and secure? So this is so important because we are fragile, we're vulnerable in infancy, but we're also just as fragile and vulnerable as adults. And as we grow these bonds and attachment in the early stages of adapting, this will ultimately influence how we create bonds in the future. And this is completely dependent on the quality of care that you received from your caregiver. And the attachment style is almost grown in these earliest experiences, and it truly does affect our relationships as adults. Not only how we create relationships from a platonic, in platonic relationships, but also in romantic relationships. And that care, like I said, becomes a pre-existing blueprint for how we approach relationships as adults. So in childhood, there are three different, there's four different types of attachment. The first one is called secure attachment. This is you know, children with secure attachment, it basically means that when they are distressed upon separation, they're warmly welcomed because they realize because the caregiver gives the eye contact and the hug and the and the hugs and the attention that it needs. So it's almost like if a child, if you were to tell a child, okay, I'll be right back, you stay right here, and 
you leave that child for a minute and you immediately come back and you give those hugs, you give the reinforcement. That is what creates secure attachment. So how does that, so secure attachment is just feeling that sense of security. You feel safe and secure. You know that your caregiver is going to come back. It's always, that caregiver is always going to apply to your needs and it's never going, you're never going to have a sense of doubt or anxiety. Now, the other three types of attachment stem from levels of anxiety. You have anxious attachment, you have avoidant and disorganized. Anxious attachment basically is a child who's frightened by separation and continues to explay like forms of anxiousness because once until their caregiver returns. So that's like telling a child, okay, you set a timer and you say, okay, I'm going to be gone for five minutes. I'll be right back. And let's say you don't come back in five minutes. You come back in 10 minutes. That child, because you enforced and you almost planted a seed in that child's mind that you were going to be back at a specific time and then you come back later, that gives within the five minutes because they're anticipating to wait for you and you don't come back into 10 minutes, within the next five minutes that they're waiting for you, anxiousness builds up. And they're so frightened to be separate. After that first initial interaction, they're now going to almost overanalyze and question your words because you made, it's like making a promise and not keeping that promise or not delivering that promise right away. And that formulates a sense of anxiety. Avoidant attachment is a child that reacts fairly calmly to separation and doesn't really embrace their caregiver upon their return. Um, The next type is called disorganized attachment. This is almost manifested where there's this behavior towards the caregiver upon returning and they approach them by turning away or hitting their caregiver. And this is very common with children that have um, dealt with a form of, of a type of childhood trauma. So these are the different types of attachment in childhood. But how does this translate to adulthood? So what so secure attachment is quite the same. Um, you know, as an adult, you come off as very open and equal in relationships. You're able to um, be okay with separation. You can thrive and grow. You're very confident. You're very reactive. Uh, Your partners will feel very assured in their independence. You're very loving and appreciative as much as you can be independent. You, when you're approached with situations, you know how to de-escalate conflicts by using problem solving, you're very forgiving, you think outside the box, more like, um, I would say, you think in a way where if your partner was upset, you think, oh, well, maybe they had a bad day and, you know, this is why they're acting like this. You're very understanding. And on top of that, you're able to give and receive the equal amount of love and support to your partner. Now, this differs quite heavily from the other three types of attachment, which is what was once in childhood called anxious resistant attachment. In adulthood, it's called anxious preoccupied, which means there's a high level of anxiety 
and a low avoidance. The meaning individuals that have anxious, preoccupied, they're very emotional, they come off as uh, clingy. They can be, it's almost like they really do fear abandonment. They fear, um, they fear abandonment because their partner is not giving the affirmations to subside their fears. They're almost attracted to partners that can they can either save or um, or attract partners who they feel like should save them instead. I think of anxious, preoccupied individuals as individuals that constantly need reassurance. They can sometimes struggle from a high insecurity, low self-esteem, they um, having difficulty in establishing a personal identity because they grew up without healthy boundaries of that give or take. It's kind of remember that example that I used with the child. If you were to tell that child you're going to be back in five minutes and you end up coming back in 10 minutes, the next five minutes that they're waiting for you, the anxiousness builds up and they weren't reassured when their caregiver came back. So that's it's how this formulates into anxiety and, and people that are anxious, preoccupied also come off as individuals who are, they overthink and overanalyze quite, um, they come off as clingy. Um, they have lots of mood swings, often very cautious in their relationships. So the next type of attachment is called dismissing avoidant. So what was once in childhood as avoidant attachment in adulthood is called dismissing avoidant, which means there's a low anxiety but a high avoidance. These are individuals that come off as very distant and they isolate themselves. It's almost, I, I honestly think of anxious uh, as dismissive avoidant individuals as people that are like, you can look, you can give me attention, but not too much attention. They really do have a tendency to emotionally distance themselves from other people, um, especially their partners, and they have very few close relationships. These are individuals that might be coined as emotionally unavailable, and that's not necessarily the case. It's just that they love, uh, they, they, they have the ability to become attached but they will not emotionally attach until they feel like they're completely safe and they only do that to a certain set of people. These individuals also are able to like turn off their feelings and not react when it comes to certain conflict or being approached with certain situations. Another key thing about dismissive avoidant people is that they hate clinginess. So as different as anxious, preoccupied, anxious, preoccupied individuals are very clingy, dismissive avoidant individuals don't like clinginess. They'd rather do things on their own. They're very self-sufficient. And they really try to avoid true intimacy you know, to in order to avoid showing vulnerability. So these are individuals that that almost think of attachment as a bad thing in a way or they feel like it's something that's going to take away their freedom and make them feel vulnerable to an individual that they are not even sure will give them exactly what they want and this is it like it, they're kind of like those people that you know if 
their partners were to threaten them, like, oh, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave you, they really do have the ability to shut off their emotions. And they really do try to pretend that they don't care. And what's very interesting is there have been studies done where anxious, preoccupied individuals really do attract dismissive, avoidant individuals. So two individuals are quite opposite, end up attracting each other because one feels like it could save the other and the other wants to crave that intimacy but doesn't want to get too close. So the last type of of attachment is called fearful avoidant. So what was once called in childhood as disorganized attachment, this one is called fearful avoidance. So they, they individuals like this have high anxiety and high avoidance. They have they're quite dramatic, have internal conflict. They are individuals who have experienced almost a mixture of of fearing as well of people becoming too close or too distant. So in relationships, how that looks like is that they want to become close, but they also are conflicted with getting too close at the same time. And these individuals tend to find themselves in rocky or like dramatic relationships or what be what would be coined as toxic relationships with many, many highs and many, many lows. And they're often so overwhelmed by their own emotions because not only do they fear abandonment, but they fear with struggling with being confident in themselves and their abilities, as well as relying on their partners and being confident in their partner's abilities to give them what they want. And this is almost like they're battling with trying to find what it means to be safe in another person's arms. And individuals like this are frightened to get too close. And they're so exact, exactly what, um, like they're fearful, they're disorganized, they don't know where to place people in their lives because they're constantly almost trying to weigh their options because if there's there's really no organized strategy for them getting their needs met by the people that's in their lives. So why so these are the four types of attachment. And I really want to emphasize that all of these do stem from childhood. It does really stem from how your caregivers treated you and the quality of care. But I want you to take a step back and recognize that just like there's a spectrum in mental health, there really is a spectrum with how your caregivers have shown love to you. Because it doesn't always have to be something that is dramatic. It's only something that shifts your understanding as a child of if your needs, if you wanted your needs to be met, where was a time where your needs were not met? And how did that have a dramatic shift on how you view the world around you and how you connect with other people? Because this could be like your parents were always on business trips, or it could be that your parents were very extremely loving, or maybe you didn't have a constant figure in your life. And I would like to use a personal example with all of you just to be not only as your host to be open and vulnerable with you, but I really want you to understand what attachment looks like as an adult coming from a young adult like myself. So I grew up in in a, in a household where 
love was very present. I knew that my parents loved me. If I needed something, they were very present in my life. They were always there for me. My mom was an extremely, she's an extremely loving mother. Shout out to her because she always listens to my podcast. But once my parents got divorced, it really, it was the pinnacle in my life where everything shifted for me. Because what was once, what was once thought as both my parents were giving me the love and affection I needed, now my mom was trying to establish a part of her life where she needed to get stable. So she was working on her business. She was doing things to help the family. So she wasn't always in my space as much as, you know, she was before. And my real father was away from me. We're miles away. And when I wanted to see him, obviously he wasn't there. So when I say that there's a spectrum to your experiences, whatever experiences you went through and whatever pinnacle moment really shifted how you become attached to people, that's the that's the moment you need to evaluate. Because as an adult, I have had to balance between secure attachment and anxious preoccupied because my mom, you know, with her experiences, she had gone through a lot of traumatic experiences and she tends to overanalyze and she becomes very worried. As a mother, she was very protective. And as an adult, I find myself mimicking those types of behaviors. When I'm in, whether it's my friendships or my romantic relationships, I find that I want to nurture and I want to almost hold the people I care so dearly. And this has sometimes always been a problem in my romantic relationships because my partner's will coin me as clingy when in reality my mom showed me so much love and she showed so much care that I only want to amplify that amount of love and care. And this is why it's very important to understand your attachment because as much as we can say these terms like, oh, you can't love someone until you love yourself, we were shown a spectrum or a severe or a certain amount of love growing up. I would say that in order to love someone, you need to understand yourself in order to understand them. And by understanding yourself and taking that time to evaluate your behavior and your experiences, that's how you're going to be able to unlock the secrets to understanding your partner or to understanding your friends or people that you have in your inner circle that you have grown attached to. Because attachment is an emotional bond. Not only is it emotional, but it's also very spiritual. You feel inclined to be around that person because you've chosen to put them in your circle. But how you show the love and attraction, how you show care does stem from childhood. So I don't want you to hear this information and go to your parents and say, okay, why didn't you show me this amount of love? Why didn't you do this, that, and the third? Because your experiences is what truly alters your attachment to people. Because your parents, you have, to, you have to think about this from a holistic point of view and see that your parents received care and love from their caregivers. And how they, it's almost like it's a domino effect. What one is influenced by, it's going to be a part of their behavior and their personality. So you can't necessarily blame someone for being a certain way. However, you can assess your own behavior and your own experiences 
so that you can show the quality care not only to your children but to your loved ones. And you can build those concrete relationships because we all want that security. We all want to be safe, but we also want to be understood. You know, my anthropology teacher, she always told me, in order to understand, if you're going to understand cultures and people and why they do the things that they do, you need to understand why you do the things that you do and take responsibility for how you are so that way you're able to assess yourself in depth to, in order to assess another person. And you can have that holistic perspective and you won't be ethnocentric when it comes to understanding the beliefs and morals and values of another person. Her words will always echo in my mind because they truly emphasize the importance of our experiences and how our experiences really do influence who we are as people and taking the time out to unlock all the secrets and chambers that we have tried to neglect and dissociate from. It is time now to unlock parts of yourself to understand yourself in depth so that way you can understand another person and heal from your attachment wounds. So how can we heal from our attachment wounds? Because I'm going to be honest with you, not everybody in the world has secure attachment. We all have gone through our own set of experiences and all of our caregivers, whoever they were, had their own traumas. They had their own things that they had dealt with that has translated to how we formulated our own attachment. So the first thing in order to heal is to acknowledge. And if you don't know your attachment style, you can go on Google and you can type in attachment style quiz. And there should be one that shows up from Psychology Today, as well as one from Diane Poole. She actually wrote a book um, about healing from attachment wounds. And that quiz is quite, quite good. I would also say that once you acknowledge what your attachment is, whatever it is, Based on the information that I shared and based on the information that you'll read, I want you to not be, to refrain yourself from putting yourself in a state of denial because whatever your attachment may be, the qualities and the characteristics of that attachment, some parts will not apply to you and some will. And that's just because the ones that you don't apply to is ones that you have possibly grown out of. But I want you to write down your attachment. I want you to write down the characteristics and I want you to evaluate which ones you need to work on and how you feel like they need to be worked on as well as the ones that you have already grown from. So realizing what you've grown from can help give you that motivation to grow from the other ones that are still having an influence on how you give quality care and how you want to receive quality care. So when you find out this information, it takes a lot of honesty and vulnerability with yourself. So being honest with yourself, I want you to also take the necessary steps on your own terms and on your own at your own pace to be honest with the people around you. Because you're going to not only learn to identify your own attachment, but you're going to be able to honor yourself by taking the necessary steps to vocalize to the people around you and assertively express what you emotionally need in a relationship. And that isn't being selfish. That isn't asking of too much. That isn't being demanding. You want to receive quality care. You want to be reassured and you want someone to give you the quality of your love language that actively expresses your attachment style. And knowing who you are and what you need emotionally is what's going to help you reciprocate the right love to your partner 
they can understand the type of love that you give and appreciate it as well as you can appreciate and you can understand how your partner or your friends or your family are giving love to you in return. And that takes being authentic and being direct with what you really want. And you're avoiding of playing these mind games, not only with yourself, but with other people in order to try to manipulate and control a situation that isn't going to necessarily help you bring any sort of satisfaction to yourself. You want that reassurance. We want that security. We want that safety. And if you want that, it's necessary to honor what you need to feel safe and express that to people around you. As well as doing those things, I also want you to, this is going to be the hardest step, but practice accepting yourself and others. And whatever acceptance may look like to you is how I want you to go about this step because this could be very difficult if you find out that you have anxious or avoidant attachment because anxious attachments, they tend to be very clingy and they want they want to give so much love and they just want to make sure that they're constantly reassured and avoidant wants to be vulnerable, but you don't want to give too much and you end up getting hurt in the end. So I want you to accept who you are as a person and accept the type of love that you give and work on that love as well as taking responsibility for your actions in order to find ways to properly receive what makes you feel safe and give the needs to yourself as well as to another person because love is universal the quality type of care the quality of love really does stem from how you've received it in childhood and there's nothing wrong with feeling like you're lost with understanding how you feel loved so take that time to really write down what you need and what you feel like makes you feel good as a person because there's nothing wrong with telling somebody that they should love you a specific way, that they should be doing certain things. Or it's it's okay if somebody that you care about is telling you a better way that they can feel loved and they can feel secure in the relationship. Because we all have our own wounds and scars to heal from. But taking the necessary steps to understand yourself could really help you not just put a bandage over your wounds, but to really clean it up, stitch it together, and have it heal properly. All right, everyone, that is the end of this week's episode. I hope that all of you enjoyed this week's topic. I love talking about attachment theory. I love talking about different types of attachment styles and how they correlate to experiences that we have gone through in our childhood and I'm so happy that I was able to share some information with all of you to hopefully help you along your journey to understanding yourself in depth and though attachment theory is something that to me is quite overlooked it's just as important as any other topic in mental health so hope you all enjoyed it And next week, I will be bringing on some individuals to talk about their attachment style and how it correlates to their childhood and how they act as adults now. But with that being said, I want to end this episode with some positive affirmations. You are so strong. You are amazing. You are beautiful inside and out. 
And I am so proud and so amazed by your courage and vulnerability to go on this journey to understanding yourself mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. Thank you so much, everybody, and I will see you next week.